Welcome to Photoactive, a podcast about photography and technology. I'm Kirk McElhern. And I'm Jeff Carlson. You can find show notes, including any photos we discuss in this episode, at photoactive.co. That's photoactive.co. So, Jeff, which color iPhone are you getting? <laughs> I think it's hilarious that you have to ask. The blue, of course. The blue is awesome. <laughs> of course, it's the one true color, right? It's it's the only color to get this year. I'm getting one, too. And I was originally going to try and maybe keep my iPhone 11 a third year. But with all the camera improvements, even though I don't really take a lot of pictures with my iPhone, I wanted to be able to try these out and experience them. And unfortunately, we don't have pre-release iPhone 13s here, but we are intelligent enough to read what everyone else has said about them. So we're going to talk about the iPhone 13 camera improvements. I am really surprised that you decided to go ahead and go with it because this is one of those releases. And we've said this before, with the iPhone, Apple really hammers on the cameras, 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 because this is the camera for most people. Well, it's because there's not much else they can do in an iPhone to make it well, better. Well, you know, it's it's faster. It's got all of those other kind of, you know, whizzy. Hey, you, you can play rich 3D games that I, I honestly play once and I'm like, mm, yeah, okay. Yeah, that seems to work. Every year, it's the fastest iPhone ever. Isn't that so amazing? That just doesn't – I know. <laughs> How do they do it? That just doesn't sell it anymore. And if you remember – in this latest presentation, they did not once use the term magical. Oh, wait a minute. You're telling me my phone is not going to be magical? It is not magical. Oh, man, I should probably... It's, it's pro. <laughs> okay, well... As Apple's webpage for the phone says, oh, so pro. Is that like a reference to something I don't understand? So I, I'm I'm totally down for the surgical grade stainless steel. I mean, I think that's just yeah. awesome. I don't know what I'm going to use my iPhone for where I need surgical grade stainless steel. Hardware. Well, yes. Um, I hope I never have to find exactly. out. Exactly. You don't want to have to field strip your phone to make surgical instruments out of it. <laughs> exactly. But I can say that as someone who <laughs> has had the iPhone 12 Pro, which is also made of the surgical steel, uh, I I really like this design. It, f it has always felt good in my hand, uh, even though it's not as rounded as as before. Just the fit and finish of of the twelve, I've really enjoyed over the eleven, and so I think you'll like the thirteen. Partly for that reason. Wait, you're the guy who doesn't use a case, right? Of course not. Why would anybody use a case? <laughs> See, that's the thing. I, I cannot use an iPhone without a case. I totally understand uh, that. Even though I buy Apple Care, uh, it, I'm I'm an, an hour's drive from an, an Apple store. So if I do break an iPhone, it's a half day. I, I had the battery on my iPhone 11 replaced in June under Apple Care, mm -hmm. and it was a half day. It was an hour's drive. I had to wait two hours. So it was another hour to drive back. I can't do that just because I don't want to use a case. Yeah. My house was built in the early 1800s, and in the hall and the kitchen, there were these big, massive flagstones, and I have dropped my iPhone several times in the hall in the kitchen. These are the only places where it's not carpeted. Yeah. And so I don't want to take that chance. No, that makes complete sense. And I get it. I've just never, never wanted the cases. But what was interesting about this is they always talk about the cameras because the cameras are really cool. But this time, like they led with the cameras. This was all about the cameras. And oh, by the way, the phone can do other stuff, which I think is how a lot of people think about their phones. And certainly how, how we think of them as primarily cameras. But I, I was a little surprised that it was so camera heavy this time. 
I kind of think it was last time. I mean, if, if we were to go back and time the, the presentations, I don't think it would be that different because when was the last time you can remember a major new non-camera feature? And I'm not talking about removing the headphone jack. Yeah, I think my silence is really <laughs> saying everything. Um, <laughs> I think I think it's around like the iPhone 8 because that was the first one that had the larger model. No, the 7 had a larger yeah, model Yeah, well. 7 had a larger model. Um, I mean, if you want to go like like – Super big, I think, uh, retina screens, which I think were in the four, you know, when when the screen resolution really started to 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 improve. I think it's later than that, but we're not going to yeah, bother yeah. checking it because yeah. this is a photography podcast. And we're going to talk about the <laughs> wonderful camera features in the iPhone. Now, I want to start with the thing that's like the big flashy thing, because here's what I don't understand. I have never really thought that I want to take videos of people and do focus pulling to shift from one to the other. Ah. Right? And so they go with this presentation and they get a, a real director, Catherine Bigelow up there. And she's talking about all this. And it's like, I want to see, I don't want to see a director using this. I want to see someone at a kid's birthday party using this. I want to see someone at a little league game. I want to see what the real people are going to do with this. Yes. If I was a film student, I was 20 years old. I would be salivating over mm -hmm. this, you know, this and a gimbal and you can go to can, but normal people, how are they going to use this? I want to see this in, in real practice. Okay. So, so to, to back up really quick, you're talking about cinematic mode. Which cinematic cinematic mode, mode in quotes? I'm doing the air quotes. In the air quotes, uh, which is I think extremely fascinating and super clever, and I want to know more about it just from that side of things. And what cinematic mode will do is let you rack focus or pull focus or change focus from one person to another or one object to another sort of foreground background, and it has that sort of blended effect that you'll see in a lot of movies. You'll see it in every movie and every TV yeah. show. Anytime you've got close-ups, two people in a car, it's constantly going back and forth from one to the other. So to answer your question, I do think people will probably play around with this. And, uh, you know, at, at, at sporting events, you know, maybe maybe that'll work. Ultimately, I think it's probably not something that most people will use. It'll be like a lot of things. They'll try it out. They'll say, well, hey, honey, look at this. I can make you go in and out of focus. Isn't that cool? Um, and and that's fine. And then for the people who are really into it, you know, they'll they'll really dig it. That you know, for like you said, the twenty year olds who are making their own short movies and things. So one tenth of one percent of people who are buying the iPhone are going to just love this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But and the rest of them are going to try it out, and it's not going to quite work. See, what what's cool is it can do this automatically. So it can do face detection, and if you've got two faces in the frame and one turns to the other, it's automatically going to shift the focus. That's pretty That's cool, super cool from a technological point yeah. of view. Even better, you can tap a focus point. Let's assume you've got this on a tripod or holding it steadily mm -hmm. enough. Or the optical image stabilization available on all four iPhone 13 models um, will keep it more or less stable. Yeah. You can tap another focus point to pull the focus. But even more impressive is that you can do this in post-processing on your Mac yes. or on your iPhone or iPad. That part actually is what has blown me away the most about this feature because it's all done in software. No, it's it not. Is. No, no, it's not. It's not that it's all done in software. It's that you've got two cameras recording at the same time. So you've got a video stream, which is the two cameras, and the software is letting you shift from one to the other. The software is not making this no, up. No, 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 it is. It is. 
No, the depth effect is created by a second camera. It's the same as in portrait. No, 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 no. The two cameras working together is figuring out what the depth is of the scene. But what it's actually recording is everything in focus as much as it can. And so it's artificially adding the blur and then changing the focus based on it. That's why you can change it after the fact. So what you're looking at is basically portrait mode for video that's very malleable. Okay. And that's what really impresses me because apart from the quality of the effect, which in some cases looks really good, in some cases it may not be, I think overall it's a lot better than what a lot of people would expect. And I think for most people, you're not really going to notice that, oh, maybe this is done in software. But the fact that in real time, it's processing this blur and processing the focus and making the transition between the two, two different areas. Um, I mean, computationally, it's kind of amazing. And just the flexibility of being able to, to mess with that later blows my mind. Okay, fair point. No, I thought it was recording two streams and it was basically overlaying because you, they didn't show this year, but last year they showed like the multiple images that are taken to do the smart HDR. And I thought it was a similar kind of thing. Okay. So that's impressive, but I still, I don't, I still don't think there's a lot of real world application for this. No, I don't think so either, but it's also one of those things. And this is a very Apple thing where it's a cool technology. It's head turning. It is making you <laughs> I can't believe you just did that. <laughs> yes. Yes. Listeners can't see. I just he turned, just my turned head. his head. <laughs> Even on a podcast, we are not immune to visual <laughs> jokes. Um, it's something that Apple knows people will talk about and get people interested yeah. in. And most importantly, it will make people think, oh, this is a very cool feature. Maybe I can do something with it. And that will make them decide, well, maybe my 11 Pro or my iPhone 11, which I could have gotten another year or two out of, maybe I should consider this 13 because this is a cool feature that I want to play with. Now, after three or four weeks and you realize maybe you're not doing it anymore or you're only doing it you know, every once in a while when you have sort of a video shooting opportunity and you're like, oh, right, I forgot cinema mode was here. Sorry, cinematic mode was here. Cinematic, uh, yes. That's okay because they've already sold you this phone. So it's kind of that 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 snazzy thing, kind of the same reason why Apple uses directors like Catherine Bigelow or big-time photographers in all their marketing and stuff because it has that aspirational aspect of, oh, this is something that I would never have considered doing, but now I can do it. And what does that open up for me? I want to talk about a couple of things. They have a um, longer telephoto lens this time. And unlike last year, you get the better lens on both of the Pro models and not just the Pro Max, which I think I think when they did that last year, it just kind of felt weird. Yeah. Why am I getting the Pro when it's not really the Pro? It's, it's really the Pro Max is only the Pro. So I'm getting the kind of middling amateur <laughs> kind of yeah. phone. I think that was really a physical space issue. Because if you notice the iPhone 13 Pro this year, the camera block, the camera bump, where, where all the cameras are, is noticeably larger and a bit deeper this year. And I think it was just a yeah. matter of in the 12 Pro Max, they had room to put this in and I think kind of field test it, really. 
So when you talk about having the better camera, let's explain what that is. So instead of having two cameras, ultra wide and wide, you have three. And the telephoto is a 77 millimeter equivalent focal length, which if you consider that 50 millimeters is roughly what we see in reality. So this means it's actually a telephoto where you're seeing things bigger than they are. Yeah. Right. And this is great for portraits because you generally want a longer lens for portrait photography than not that you can't do portrait photography with a wide angle lens, but it's more often the kind of lens you're going to use for portrait photography. So this, this I think is a pretty good thing. Also, I think there are definitely people who will take their phone on vacation and this will be the only camera that they use and having a little bit more reach there. So Apple, I think in the interface refers to this as a three X uh, zoom for for the telephoto, having a little bit extra reach will just compel people to buy the pro because they want that telephoto, they want that zoom. Even if, I mean, realistically, you're not going to see something in the far distance much better, but it it definitely helps a little bit. And I think that's that's a really compelling thing for a lot of people. One thing to notice is that it's not as fast as uh, last year's telephoto. So the the aperture is f2.8. You mean the aperture is smaller, right? The maximum aperture is a bit yeah, smaller. Yeah, so it, it's not going to let in as much light. But there's also that sort of point of, of middling returns where the phone's going to compensate anyway by increasing the ISO and applying noise reduction and all of that. So I don't think... In a practical sense, that's going to affect a lot of people unless you're shooting in really dark situations. Yeah. And as you say, for vacation, it's going to be just good enough. Um, it'll be an improvement from what you're seeing in the normal, what they call the wide, which uh, I'm looking at the specs here. The wide is 26 millimeter focal length. The ultra wide is 13 and the telephoto is 77. So that is a big difference from 26 to 77. Yeah. Remember, these are 35 millimeter equivalents, but still that's quite a large difference. Yeah, definitely. And also going back to the apertures, the apertures are much better uh, on the wide and the ultra wide than in the past. So the wide is now an F1.5. Right. The ultra wide is now F1.8. Uh, in the iPhone 12 Pro, the ultra wide was an F2.4. And that's where combined with night mode and uh, deep fusion and all of that, you're just going to get more light hitting the sensor. That's just going to help overall. And I think, I actually don't have it in front of me, the, the pixels are larger in these two cameras. Well, the pixels, they're pointing out the size of the pixel only for the wide camera, not for the others. And I believe they're a little bit larger. So the overall okay. sensor is a little bit larger. Yeah. Um, which And it says the wide is 100% focus pixel. So that means that your autofocus is going to be more efficient than the other two cameras. Yes. Yeah. Also helping with the autofocus, the wide has the sensor shift optical image stabilization, which is not right. just the regular stabilization. So you're going to get a little bit of, of stability when you're shooting video, but also you get that sensor shift stability when you're shooting in low light conditions, which also helps. The day before this Apple presentation, um, there was Apple published a document, a support document saying that um, driving on powerful motorcycles with an iPhone could damage the sensor shift optical image stabilization oh, yeah. in the iPhone 12. During the presentation, they show a guy driving a <laughs> moped around some city doing deliveries. And it's like, 
I, I felt that that was just a bit. Couldn't they have waited till the next day to publish that document or something? <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, they probably should. Now, obviously, what they were talking about is people who were mounting the iPhone on the handlebars, um, rather than this guy who was holding it in his hand, relatively unsafely, you know, driving with one hand some of the times. Well, and he was in a scooter. He wasn't on a on a big old motorcycle. With he a... wasn't on a high power <laughs> motorcycle. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, I thought that was pretty funny. Let's also point out that the pro models have LiDAR, and this means for low-light photos, you're going to get better focusing. So they're talking about night mode selfies as well, so the front camera is better. Yep. So it's like this is the best camera ever on an iPhone. It's the fastest iPhone ever. <laughs> it is the fastest. It's the best. It's just amazing. It's just I can't imagine how good it is. And smart <laughs> HDR4 because last year was only smart HDR3, and we had to do better than that. So we – did the same thing and named it four. <laughs> I mean, how do we even know? I'll tell you what I like, though. They've added what they're calling photographic styles. Um, now, uh, every sort of photo editing app has presets or styles or things like this. And uh, you can create presets and styles with every single adjustment on your photo editing app, your Lightroom or whatever. Yeah. Um, Apple Photos doesn't do this. Uh, here they have four styles uh, vibrant, rich contrast, warm or cool. And they say you can fine tune them even further. So this is kind of like in camera, you're making your adjustments in our Fujifilm cameras. We have the film simulations mm -hmm. in other cameras. There are styles and, and things like that. So in camera, you can make adjustments of like the tone and the warmth to, well, to, to make something to, to make a look that you like. Okay, so there's something else that this camera can do, and we actually spent an hour talking about this before. <laughs> we should have recorded all of that for like, you know, the, the uh, extra special thing. And it's like the, the iPhone 13 can do mm, photography. Oh, um, no, don't even. Basically, <laughs> okay, you can say the, the word. They're you calling can it say macro the word. Photography. Yeah, it's not like the B word. They're calling it macro photography is not macro. It's close-up photography. Macro photography is when the picture is bigger than the original item or at least one-to-one -one ratio. This is a, a photographic term that's been around forever. Now, you disagree. You think that I'm being picky. Um, and it's a marketing thing. If they're doing this for average people who aren't photographers, they'll think, okay, this is cool. But a photographer who knows what a macro lens is is going to say, well, no, this isn't macro photography. Okay. Well, let's take a quick step back and say exactly what it is on phone and how they've implemented it. Right. Because there is a problem with it. Well, yeah, the, the, there is a problem which which has come up. We're recording this just as the first wave of reviews has, has come in. We don't have these in hand, of course. And um, it's it seems like a, a pretty clever implementation Normally, when you want to make macro photography, you get a macro lens. And here, of course, you don't have a macro lens. And for ages and ages, you could buy, quote unquote, macro lenses that you add on top of the, the current lens and all of that. But it, then you're just adding stuff. And I've always found it to be a little bit clunky. Plus, those lenses never work on two subsequent models of the iPhone because the shape and the size of the camera module is different. And so what Apple's doing here is they're using the ultra-wide camera in a quote-unquote macro mode. We'll get to that in a second. And the ultra-wide camera has a really close focusing distance, uh, two centimeters. But just a term, it's not a macro mode. It's not like you move that little slider and do macro. It, it just happens automatically. Exactly, which which is actually a, a bit of confusion that we ran to, into at first because I assumed that macro mode was going to be like portrait mode or uh, you know time-lapse mode. Right, and, or cinematic or, mode. Or, or cinematic mode. And what happens instead is the camera is making a determination based on how close you are to a subject. 
And once you're certain amount close to something. Some of the reviewers are talking about it being about five and a half okay. inches. Then the camera is thinking, oh, you must be doing a macro shot. So we're going to switch into this macro mode where it switches to the ultra wide camera. Now, the problem that's come up that Apple has said they're going to fix in a, in a subsequent update is that automatic shift that's happening is really noticeable. It It is really clunky. Like, I like the idea of it in that, oh, it's just going to do the thing for you. That's a very Apple thing. But what happens is you've got this this sort of bumpy thing where you're very clearly going from one camera to another and the whole thing shifts and it just looks it looks clunky. We'll we'll put a link to a video in the show notes that to to show what this looks like. The the problem is that um if you're at that point at about five and a half inches, um and you're not on a tripod, like you're holding it in your yeah. hands, you're gonna be moving slightly and the camera's gonna be going from one to the other. And what you can see in these videos is the difference in parallax. So let's say it's the the top camera or the bottom camera, so the angle is different. Now, what I said, and Jeff didn't really agree, is that I can't understand how Apple could be so sloppy to ship this. Because this is the length, this is the distance at which people are going to photograph their dinner to post it on Instagram. So they must have had plenty of people who'd noticed this. Yeah, well, we we don't have really insight into how they're testing the new cameras. And, you know, it it could also be this is the type of, of engineering thing where they know it's an issue and that's why today they can say, yeah, we have a fix planned to, to come out based on early response. Well, they only announced that today because the first reviews came out. So they're going to add a setting later this fall. You notice there's a lot of stuff coming later yeah. this fall? Like – um, what is it? The Apple Watch is later this fall and fall ends on December 20th, I think. So we've got a ways to go. It makes sense to me that they would ship this actually for that specific reason, because they need to ship this. And yeah, it's not that great, but they had to implement all of this, this software and the firmware weeks and weeks ago when they started production. So sure. I'm willing to give them a pass, but you're right. It's sloppy. Yeah. One thing to note is, so what this is doing is it's switching from the I guess the 1X camera to the 0.5X camera, but it's keeping the same size. So it's doing an optical zoom. So you're losing resolution when you're doing a close-up photo like that. When you can see in the video that it's keeping objects the same size, so it's shifting and it's losing half the resolution. I guess roughly half the resolution depends on the distance. So that's kind of been one of the dirty secrets of of the iPhone for a long time is (gasps) it will switch – cameras based on available light, especially with the telephoto lenses, which tend to be darker because the apertures are smaller. Instead of f1.8, it's f2.8. The number's bigger, the aperture's smaller. Everyone gets confused about this, even photographers trying to describe the difference between bigger and smaller and wider and narrower and all this. Exactly. So what the cameras have been doing is when it senses that there's not enough light to get a good picture, it will switch to the wide camera which has a wider aperture, and just use digital zoom to recreate the zoom level. And I'm guessing that it's still doing that, unfortunately. Yeah. And so I think this is an interesting feature, this close-up thing. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the photos that I've seen have a, a lot of fall-off in focus. So it, like the, on the Apple website, they got a photo of a flower. The center is in focus and the rest is blurry. Nice effect. Yeah. 
if you do want to get something more in focus, you might not be able to do it. So it, it's obviously this is not macro photography for photographers with macro lenses. This is close-up photography for people who see a nice flower or a butterfly. I think that's a very good way of putting it. So one of the things that we went on about before we started recording was whether or not to call this macro. And I think we've come to the point where we sort of agree that, yes, this is not technically macro photography in the way that a lot of photographers know about it. However, for most people, that doesn't really matter whether it's super technically accurate because what you're getting is the effect of a super close-up image. To me, macro is that composition. I do want to mention the sensor resolution. They're still at 12 megapixels, and yet... um... Uh, an analyst said something yesterday or today who's generally pretty well plugged in about what Apple's doing is that next year they'll be coming out with a 48 megapixel sensor. Now, I know there are some Android phones that have big sensors like that. Um, it's kind of hard in such a small space. I don't – does Apple really need to go to 48? Couldn't they go to 24? I mean this is all speculation. Yeah. I think they're, they're years past needing a bigger sensor. Um, they could do so much more with their computational photography if they had – 24 instead of 12 megapixels. Well, so, you know, I think that is at the core of why we have not seen much resolution improvement. So if you remember from our episode when we were talking about sensors and megapixels, one of the things that struck me was the speed at which you are taking data from the sensor to the processor and and processing all of that. And so when you have a 12 megapixel camera, that's just a lot less data that it can work faster on. And obviously, but this is the fastest iPhone ever. It is the fastest iPhone ever. <laughs> but maybe that's not even fast enough with their coprocessors and and all of their custom silicon. Maybe they just can't get the performance of of all this computational photography that they're doing, the the cinematic mode and all of that. Maybe they they just can't do that yet with more megapixels. One of the things about the cinematic mode is. It will only shoot in 1080p, uh, 30 frames per second, I think. And I believe that that is strictly because there's just so much data that it's it's working with in real time. Yeah, we'll put a link in the show notes to a video that Jordan Drake did uh, reviewing the iPhone 13. Jordan did a video this week alone without Chris Nichols because Chris, he said, shoots Android phones and he doesn't care about the iPhone. (laughs) And he made a number of observations about the iPhone cameras. One thing that we haven't mentioned is it uses ProRes and ProRes is this thing that people make <laughs> films like to use. I don't even know what it is. I think it's kind of like the raw for video, it is. for you know, film video. Yeah. And he said, you know, I really don't want to use it because you're limited um, in the resolution you can use. And he said with the 1080p on the 12 megapixel sensor, you're less likely to see the sort of jaggies around people's hair and things like that. Worth pointing out that it will only do the ProRes in 4K if you have an iPhone with at least 256 gigabytes of storage. So that's because there's so much data that this uses. And since there's no real quick way to get the data off, it doesn't have a Thunderbolt connector. Imagine it. You've got 50 gigabytes of, of ProRes on this thing. You're not going to put it in the cloud. You're going to connect it to your, to your computer. You're going to wait six hours to get it all off. Well, no, wait. It'll just go through the cloud, right? And so 
18 hours later, <laughs> you'll be able to get it. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, with with professional video, ProRes, but it's got the is, fastest 5G ever. It's so. got the fastest 5G. <laughs> yes. Oh my God, wouldn't that be hilarious if 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 5G to the cloud was faster than get, going out through the lightning port? Yeah. Anyway, um, ProRes is actually a very big deal in the video world. Um, it's it's you know a, a very efficient codec and it gives good quality and all of that. And so I think having that on the iPhone there will definitely be some people who are really excited about that that's also why there's now a 1 terabyte storage option for the iPhone because of of having so much of that of that video um it's also not coming until a, a, an update later on so that's that, that's going to be later this yeah, fall later this fall um <laughs> like everything you know i think that, that that's probably something that for people who are shooting a lot on iPhones and actually there's a lot of of iPhone video that gets shot, uh, second unit inserts, cutaways, things like that, that will help editors on the back end because they're using the same format and all of that. But right, more consistency. You know, I will shoot something in ProRes and say, "Yep, I did it," <laughs> and maybe write about it. <laughs> now what? Yeah, you know, but uh, you know, okay. for, for some people, again, going back to to what we said earlier, this aspirational of I can make a video that has professional qualities to it with my iPhone. And that's, I mean, it's, it's cool. You know, when I was um, in the early 1980s, um, I lived in the Upper West Side of Manhattan for a couple of years. I lived with a friend who I'd known for a few years. We, we shared an apartment. He was going to NYU film school. So I remember the equipment that they had back then. Okay, 40 years ago, but still, I mean, I can just imagine someone in film school right now looking at this and thinking for a thousand bucks, I have this amazing, you know, if it shoots 1080p, if it shoots 4K and does all this, everything you can do, uh, it, it is quite impressive. Yeah. So there, there is, there are people around the world who, you know, the one-tenth of one percent of people who buy these who are film students or amateur filmmakers, whatever, for whom this will make a big difference. Well, and I think that's impressive in some ways. And, and also, um, I'll include a link to a video that I watched just you know, randomly, I think because I clicked on something that said cinematic mode. So, of course, YouTube gave me all sorts of things about cinematic. But there's a, a guy who is a filmmaker, I think, an amateur filmmaker, and he does these these movie essays that are uh, quite good. And he was talking about, like like, what is cinematic mode? Because we try to think of you know, is it because it's in 16 by nine uh, aspect ratio? Is it the the depth of field, all that kind of stuff? Um, but one of the things that he pointed out, which I think is totally true, this $1,000 iPhone 13 Pro, when you're working at that scale of, of you know, larger productions and, and bigger equipment, like $1,000 is nothing. This is the thing that you strap onto the car expecting that it will get destroyed and it's no big deal. When you're ready to make a film, let me know. I make films all the time. They're just very, very short. That's because I accidentally forgot to turn off the live video <laughs> feature. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I'm looking forward to to uh, getting this and, and uh, taking some photos and, and seeing what the differences are. I think ultimately it's not going to practically be a massive update in terms of, you know, oh, my, my, my photos are going to be twice as good now. Uh, but it's also one of those things, if you've been holding on to an iPhone 10, then 
you move up to something like this and it's going to be a big deal. Okay, Jeff, time for our snapshots. What have you got? I've got a book. No. Seriously. Seriously? I know, I know. We've, we switched yeah. places here. It's called 2020 Unmasked. And it's a group of a handful of photographers in um, different cities basically looking at the year 2020 and how uh, politics and the pandemic and, and all of that affected um, just the last year. And, and part of the reason that I wanted it was just because it has been such a crazy, odd year I just wanted some sort of a, a visual representation of it. Um, it's beautifully done. It's hardcover. Um, I mean, it's 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 a big, beautiful photo book. Um, the photos are from Washington D.C., Boston, New York City, and the book is eighty-five dollars, which seems pretty reasonable for a, a large hardcover book like this. Uh, the print quality is excellent, and. Honestly, part of me, I'm just a little tickled that I finally have a book to show <laughs> for our snapshots. I'm looking at their website, 2020unmaskedabook.com. And when I click on images, what I find interesting is all they show is black and white images. Are there no color photos in it? There are color photos in it, although most of it is black and okay. white. And actually, it's it's interesting because when you do come on a color one, like uh, sort of at the beginning, for example, there's a lot of black and white, and it's talking about the election in in the U.S. And uh, then you turn the page, and there's this this color photo of Trump supporters with all of their their bright you know red and blue Trump flags, and and it's it's a really you know striking uh, difference from from all the others. But just another sign how black and white photography has value and and seeing black and white photos of things like this gives them that sort of references documentary photographs. Yeah. I'm telling you, I think there's a future for black and white photography. <laughs> <laughs> what what do you have? This I have week? a flash and I know this isn't very interesting. I have a Godox TT three fifty. Be honest, it doesn't matter which model it is, because I've never really shot with a flash. I think back in the film days, I may have a little bit. And I bought this maybe two years ago, definitely pre-lockdown, thinking mm -hmm. I need to learn how to use a flash. And it just sat in my photography stuff drawer. This afternoon, I had put this on my to-do list a couple of weeks ago, learn to use flash. And I keep moving it to the next day. And then this afternoon, I had a couple hours and I took it out and I started messing around with it. I know nothing about using a flash. And... It's yet one of the basic photographic tools. And so my point of this being a snapshot is find something you don't know how to use and try to figure it out and learn how to use it because that's going to change things. So I started looking at YouTube, some videos. Um, we had a brief discussion before the show. We're going to do an episode at some point in the future about using a flash because no one really thinks about it. When you shoot on your iPhone, the flash comes on automatically. So – you know, it just happens when you need it. But when you've got a flash stuck on top of the hot shoe on a camera, it's a different process. Yeah. And and also, I mean, I think honestly, one of the reasons why we haven't really talked about it is because flash photography can be this giant subject. And so, I mean, it, it's certainly nothing we can just cover in one episode in terms of, you know, the foundations and how to shoot with one and all that. And I mean, just looking at it from that perspective as someone – you know, when I first started shooting with with strobes and flash, um, it's it's daunting. It's it's just uh, intimidating. 
I will say a great resource is strobist.com. A photographer named David Hobby set up this site. And actually, I, I think uh, he's no longer updating it, but it, it has like 101 instructional stuff that will get people started. And it's a great resource for just, just you know, learning the basics and building up from there. And the thing is that there's a big difference. We had a long discussion before the show. There's a big difference between a single flash on a camera and multiple lights. And there's a yeah. lot you can do with just that one flash, just like on the iPhone. But there's a lot you can do going forward if you're shooting photos that benefit from a flash. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Um, next time we talk, we should both have the new iPhones and we'll be able to say a little bit more about it. But next time we talk will not be for several weeks because you're going away, aren't you? I am going to go away. In fact, we're going to uh, take a week off and uh, I'm going to be on a photo adventure, which will be great, but it means that I'm not going to be around to record. Okay. Well, okay. enjoy <laughs> your photo adventure and I hope we can see lots of photos when you come back. Thanks for listening to Photoactive. You can find show notes, including any photos we discuss in this episode, at photoactive.co. That's photoactive.co. We couldn't afford the M. You can join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash photoactivecast. That's photoactivecast in one word. You can subscribe to Photoactive in your favorite podcast app or on Apple Podcasts. See the links on our website. And think about leaving us a rating or review in iTunes or in your podcast app. 